Our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Micah. Micah is found right after Jonah, and he's found right after another book in the Old Testament. You now the reading of the Lord's word, Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, as to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the man, the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And now we turn to the New Testament reading from Matthew chapter 10. We are continuing our series through Matthew. Our passage uh, this morning is Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 11. Verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will, be, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He sends the greeting of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. 
Oh Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word and how clear it is. It challenges us, but we rely upon you, O oh Lord, for you have been the lovers of our lives. And we love you, O oh Lord, by your grace. Help us to understand your word and to live according to it. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at this place in our, uh, our movement through the Gospel of Matthew. And this place is uh, somewhat challenging, as you no doubt heard, both the Micah passage that Jesus quotes in this passage in Matthew chapter 10 is challenging, but I will remind you that this is uh, really developing out of uh, passages we've already seen. It is actually, as we will see, a place where uh, a kind of a major crossroads in the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the things that you have to keep in mind when you're, when you're hearing this text in Matthew is to remember uh, or learn, if you, ha- if you didn't know this, remember that the disciples that Jesus is dealing with and the people around him have certain expectations of what he will be doing as a disciple, a big pardon, as the Messiah, as the Son of God and the Son of David. So Jesus is dealing with these expectations. Particularly his disciples have certain expectations uh, that he is bringing to them the reality of what he's up to as Messiah. Now, uh, he has been called Son of David in Matthew already. In fact, it opens up the very first verse, and Matthew says he's the Son of David, and it gives his genealogy, where he came from as Son of David. Uh, and that is the, the Messiah. And then, uh, interestingly, Joseph, in the Christmas story, this is in Matthew chapter 1 also, uh, Matthew uh, hears an angel call to him, and the angel calls him Joseph, son of David. So you have uh, this connection with Jesus, his stepfather, Joseph, is son of David. Uh, then in chapter 9, we actually... Uh, heard this earlier, uh, two blind men call out to Jesus as he's walking by, and they call out to him as, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on him. So it's well known that he's the son of David. This is the messianic title. Interestingly, in Matthew 15, you have a Gentile, a Canaanite woman, calling out to Jesus as well as son of David. Uh, And then in chapter 21 of Matthew, Uh, the Jerusalem crowds shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. So people know that this is the son of David. Uh, That that may be his genealogy, it might be interesting, but they think he's the son of David, the son of David who's going to fulfill prophecy and bring in uh, this great new phase in Israel's life. We hear this phase... Uh, In Micah, this is a prophecy earlier uh, in Micah, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, we read this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. This one will be our peace. This is what Micah 5 says about the Messiah. And this text was actually quoted earlier in Matthew when the Magi came to Herod asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews, the son of David? And the leaders in Jerusalem rightly pointed to this text. Well, in Bethlehem, and he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, This is a proper interpretation of that text. This is about the birth of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Um, And so they have this expectation. He will be our peace. He will be great to the ends of the earth. We will have peace throughout the whole earth as a result of his coming. This is the expectation of people in Jesus' day that Jesus is uh, having to deal with now. Uh, They have this understanding that he's the son of David and they they think that's what he's up to. Well, This is why Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Verse 34, that we read earlier. Now, this was all part of the prophecy of Jesus, but John the Baptist, who came earlier to precede Jesus and to to prepare the way for him, also had prophecies about him and his ministry about is paving the way for the Messiah. And Jesus uh, is actually called Elijah by some people. They think, okay, if he's not the son of David, maybe he's Elijah, Matthew 16. Uh, And then uh, later his disciples uh, asked Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 10, his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Well, we're going to see uh, Jesus' response to that actually in the next section of Matthew chapter 11. We'll be dealing with that soon. Uh, But you you should know that this whole prophecy of Elijah was on people's minds because really of Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi 4, really the whole chapter, it's only six verses long, uh, has this same kind of prophecy that we uh, hear about Uh, regarding the the Messiah and what his day is going to be like. Malachi 4, 1 through 6, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread them. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come to smite the land with a curse. 
Now compare what Jesus says about his coming in verses 34 through 36. I have not come to, to bring peace, but a sword, and to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. This is, this is uh, it brings dissonance. It brings this, how does this all compute? What is Jesus up to if he's not fulfilling these prophecies? Well, it's interesting that this prophecy says, for behold, the day is coming. I will send you Elijah before the day of the Lord. It is the day of the Lord is coming and it is burning like a furnace. But Jesus is saying, I have not come to bring in the day of the Lord yet. The day of the Lord will be previewed for you, but it will be previewed on the cross. It will be previewed in his own life, taking upon himself the wrath of God for his people. That is what Jesus is preparing us to understand. We are in a place in Matthew's gospel where this really hasn't been clear yet. You know, Jesus has been, in chapters 8 and 9, he's been going everywhere uh, tirelessly helping people, healing them. He had compassion on these people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he's the great shepherd. He came to, we actually read that earlier in the Micah passage, the, the great shepherd, he'll, he'll shepherd his people uh, and take care of them. And he binds up their wounds. He, he uh, from a distance, he heals them. He, he has compassion on everyone who comes to him. He never turns anybody aside who comes and asks for his help. This is the way Jesus is, and he's treated them to that. And they, they think, this is great. It's great to have a doctor like that in our midst. I mean, we can, we can get instant healing whenever we need it. You know, if I break my leg, all I have to do is call Jesus. This is, this is great to have a leader like this. But Jesus is not going to be the faith healer that people expect. Yes, he will heal their diseases, but he will get to the root. He will get down deep to the root of our problem, and that is human sin. And he will eradicate our sin from our hearts by dying in our place. That is what Jesus came to do, and he's previewing that. He's preparing his disciples for this. Now, I read chapter 11, verse 1, intentionally. This is his address to his disciples, the people who are going to carry on the work that he has started uh, pretty soon after he is crucified and ascends to his Father. And Jesus is preparing us that the day of this uh, infighting uh, between even people of our own household is not yet eradicated. He is the Prince of Peace, but he didn't come to bring worldwide peace yet. Now, this is actually the third of three times that Jesus tells us why he came. Uh, so here in verses 34 and 35, don't think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come. So he says, do not imagine that I have come for this reason. Instead, I have come for this reason. Well, he says it the same way in chapter 5, verse 17. Don't imagine that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. He came to fulfill all of the scripture. And then in chapter 9, verse 13, 
Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to his own who needed a a shepherd who would guide them and a uh, savior who would save them from their sins. And I'll remind you, in chapter 1, the angel tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is why he came, and nothing will deflect him from that. You know, brothers and sisters, the most striking thing for me over the years in working with the Gospels is just how adamant Jesus is that no one will ever deflect him from his purpose. People have all these expectations for him. And there's all these temptations for people to push him this way and that way, to have him do this and that for them, uh, to have their children on his left and right in the kingdom. Uh, He has all these people trying to to turn him aside from what he uh, came to do, not least of whom is Satan in the temptation. Do this, and I will give you this. And Jesus will not be distracted. He will not be turned from his purpose. He won't be swayed by the expectations of others. People have all these expectations on him. They have all these purposes for him. They want this and that. Brothers and sisters, that's still with us today. You know, if you're in leadership in the church, there are expectations. People have expectations of what we should do. And we will take suggestions. We are not... We don't know everything, okay? <laughs> well, your, your two elders do, but I don't. I don't know everything. And we will, we will listen to you. This is your church. You belong here. And you certainly have every right to talk with your elders and to uh, ask about what's going on and could we do this or that. But in the end of the day, our mission and our purpose in life is established by the Word of God. It is the Scripture and its teaching that guides us. And we are doing the best we can to uh, lead you in the scriptural way. And this text is central to that. Now let let me read another text for you. This is in Matthew chapter uh, 16. I I beg your pardon. This is in John 6, not Matthew 16. John 6, 14 and 15. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, he'd he'd fed them. They said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force, to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now that, that last part is actually emphatic. One of those would be adequate. He withdrew to a mountain all by himself alone. He didn't want anybody near him anymore. He was so sick and tired of people having their expectations put on him. They're going to take him by force and make him king of this world in Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, too small. His desire is to become king of all creation, and he would have that. And if you want to see the purpose of Matthew, you read the last bit of it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go 
and make disciples of all the nations. That is what he intended to do, and that's what he was not going to be deflected from doing, and he did it. This is why Jesus came into the world, to save his people from their sins and to receive all authority in heaven and earth. Our Lord Jesus reigns. He rules at the right hand of the Father over everything in this age and in the world to come. All authority in heaven and on earth. A little kingship in, in Judea, Jerusalem, too small. Not big enough. Creating a Christian nation in America, too small. I want you to, I want you to listen to those voices today that are calling for Christian America. Something that if you read it carefully, it's got a lot of really serious errors in it. Bad things. Things like segregating off people from ethnic groups into their own little groups. It's just really bad when you read the fine print on what people are asking you to do. But I want you to read this text in light of that call for Christian America. This text... I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I came for, a, I didn't come to take over this world politically. That's not why I'm here. He, do you think he could have done it? This is the same one who, who calmed the winds and the waves. This is the same one who raised the dead. Do you think he could have taken over the world? Yeah. He could have called on a whole host of angels to take over the world. Now, don't imagine that I'm saying, don't think that I want you to have no regard for your neighbors in this world. I want you to run for public office. I want you to do things that are good in this world and helpful. I want, I want to see our neighbors benefit from us being in the world and sharing the love of Christ with those in need and being kind and good examples of faithful citizens who serve, serve in first respond, you know, first responder capacities, help helping people in our world, transforming our government to be upright and righteous. That's all very good. So that's all good. I regard that as love for your neighbor. That second great commandment, that's simply expressing the love for our neighbor. Those are good things. But don't think that Jesus is all about transforming this world into paradise. It's too small. It's not permanent enough, and it will fall into disillusion. All you have to do is study history. We're coming up on the Reformation. And people imagined that the world was already under a holy government, the same government that persecuted those who held to the word of God. They, they killed them, and they stamped them out in certain countries. Well, it's a long story now. But I want you to, I want you to uh, see that Jesus hinting at his own suffering the fact that he, he didn't come here to transform the world. He came to transform the world through you. He's hinting at this in verse 25 when he says, It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher, a servant like his master. 
If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? He is, he is simply preparing us that, that in the world we have tribulation. If they maligned him, they're going to malign us. If they called him the devil, they're going to call us evil and wicked people. And I want you to look at verse 38. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Notice that when you take up your cross, you're not alone. You're following him. Because he's already taken up his cross to lead us in the way of life everlasting. Our Lord Jesus is not saying to you, oh, you take up your cross, I want you to suffer, while he stands idly by. He took up his cross to lead us into everlasting life. And he will come again to, to buy us out of this world, to redeem us out of this wicked world in good time. Until then, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is not license. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother. This is not license. This is not a way of saying it's okay if you disobey your parents, if you throw away all respect for, for leaders in the world, uh, th that you do not have any regard for those in authority. Jesus reproves uh, some of those in Israel quite strongly in Mark 7, 5 through 13. To the Pharisees and scribes, he said to them, you people are hypocrites and you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And he gets into this by saying, you've devised a way for a man to dishonor his father and mother by declaring whatever he makes in business to be devoted to God. And then it was a way for him to ignore the needs of his father and mother to dishonor them. That's, math, that's Mark chapter 5. This is, this is not a license for us when Jesus says this. He's simply preparing us for the reality of life in this world after he goes away. We're going to live in a life where the world will hate us and where we will have to live with this kind of conflict uh, that he himself suffered. This is what our life is like, life of the cross. And notice what he says in verse 39. After we follow him with the cross, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is not everybody who loses their life will find it. It's people who follow Jesus, even to the bitter end, will find it. The Lord Jesus came to bring us life and life abundantly. This is a hard text because all we see is what's negative. But Jesus makes clear that he's going to go ahead of us. And he is going to grant us eternal life uh, at the end of our suffering for his name's sake. So what, we, what the Lord Jesus gives us is this model now of service to uh, one another. Notice what he says in verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me. People who uh, take care 
of brothers and sisters in the Lord, because they are in the Lord, are taking care of the Lord. People who uh, show charity and love to anyone in the name of Christ will not lose their reward. So this is, this is the Lord telling you, you must be faithful and persevering in your love toward one another in the church. This is, this is the, what he is building in this world. He is building a place, a haven, a place of rest, a place of love, where it will flourish among the people of God, and charity will abound and overabound toward those in need. And he says, even if you give a cup of cold water to someone because they're a disciple, you will not lose your reward. And the reason is, the Lord says, you're doing it for me. When you're taking care of a brother and sister in the Lord, you're taking care of Jesus. He takes it personally. Brothers and sisters, what happens to you in this world, the Lord Jesus takes personally. He regards you as his prized possession. And what you do to a disciple of Christ, you're doing to him. That's what he says in this passage. It is very clear. Now let, let me read to you a longer passage, because this all is resolved in the end of days. It's appropriate you heard some of this in the Sunday school uh, with uh, Elder Oliver. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Notice, it's the king. Brothers and sisters, there is a kingdom that he is bringing. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with his holy angels, on that day, the kingdom of God our Father will be made manifested. It is a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, which is our inheritance. That is what we persevere to. That is our hope. That is what we're working for. Our task in this world is to spread the message of the gospel and the hope of eternal life and of an inheritance and a new creation. The kingdom prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. Do you think God the Father is going to let that fail? No. And our Lord Jesus Christ has purchased it for us. It's been bought with a price. And the price is not your blood, it is his blood. 
and you have been granted an entrance by his grace and kindness into that eternal realm of life and life everlasting. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus says this in Matthew 30, 10, 34 to the end. He tells us to remind us that our life is not wrapped up in this world. It's good to be involved in this world. It's a good thing. You love your neighbor as yourself and you participate in the life of this world. And you protect life, you help people, you do things of great value in this world. But this isn't our ultimate value. Our ultimate value is to be part of the mission of the church of Jesus Christ where the gospel of grace and glory abounds that people might enter into eternal life and have this hope that on that last day when the Son of Man appears in all of His glory, He will say to you, you gave me a cup of cold water. And you'll respond, when did I do anything of any value? I, I remembered I remember everything you did for me. All those little things you did for me, they did not go to waste because you show your love to me by doing it for my brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus is telling us in this passage. So we live according to it. This is the ministry of the church through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he gives it to us as a great gift. This is our hope. May the King of glory grant us perseverance in this great task as we have the privilege of participating in the kingdom of God here in this world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, who can live up to these great things? We reach now the end of this section of Matthew. It is a good reminder that our Lord gives us very sober teaching here teaching that can be very scary uh, and lead uh, all sorts of ways. Keep us, O Lord, in the narrow path that we may love you more and more and serve you with gladness and not with fear. For you are a great God, O Lord. Your compassion fails not. Your love for us is so abundant. And we do thank you even for these hard words. Help us to live according to it by the strength of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.